2: Hello everyone and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate how everything, simply everything you could possibly think of, has its own history, like pride, hang gliders
3: and trainers. Ooh, they sound very interesting, Sam. And we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining very carefully indeed how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, that the history of fire is in fact all about communication in Tudor England or that the history of slime, yes it does have a history, is in fact all about the Industrial Revolution.
2: The man helping me co-pilot us through this wonderful historical world is one of the country's leading professors of history, it's James Daybell. Hi James. Hello Sam
3: and the man helping me co-pilot this very episode is the famous historical
2: adventurer himself, Dr Sam Willis. Hi Sam. Hi Sam. Hello everyone. This is another episode of our special homeschooling series which we began in lockdown but we very much enjoyed it. And I know you guys all did because we can tell by the amount of times these things get downloaded. So we decided to bring back a few homeschooling episodes, whether it's for kids or whether it's for adults who want to learn a bit more about the past in bite-sized chunks. In each subject we take a subject that I bet you don't think has a history and what we do is we prove that it does. And today I'm very excited about this. We are doing the history of revenge, which is all about the Wars of the Roses and the Battle of St Albans. But before we reveal that connection, Sam, we need to think about
3: brainstorming. So for me, when I think about the history of revenge, that is not all about... The Wars of the Roses. It has a very present-day, very modern feeling. I'm recording this in about mid-January 2022, when the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is battling for his political life, and part of his problems seem to be the series of political bombshells being dropped in his direction by his erstwhile Number 10 colleague Dominic Cummings, whose incendiary blogs and tweets about parties at Number 10 Downing Street at the height of lockdown restrictions in 2020 can't but be interpreted as revenge for Cummings' own unceremonious parting of the ways with... Horace, having fallen foul of cabals and cliques among the corridors of power. The man is a pit bull armed with inside intelligence and a terrifying mastery of social media, a dogged determination for revenge that I think is utterly, utterly terrifying. And when I think about revenge, of course, many other things spring to mind when we're talking about this as a concept. And in particular, I think about vendetta and feuding that we've seen throughout history and that is perhaps most acutely connected to Italy and the Sicilian mafia Sam so it's all about feuding but we can think back in, into the past we can think back into the Anglo-Saxon times we can think about blood feud when somebody in your family uh, came a cropper there was a, a, an attempt to get your own back to have revenge and to seek um, to seek uh, retribution so an eye for an eye a, tooth for a tooth, limb for a limb, so blood feud and vendetta, it's all about revenge. Where would you go with revenge, Sam? Uh,
2: Well, I don't know, you mentioning Dominic Cummings, very interesting, because that made me realise you could do the whole, uh, there's a whole history of political revenge, isn't there, and I reckon that the Tudor court would be a great place to start there. Um, I initially thought about the Venetians, so the Venetians had a great maritime empire, Um, from the Middle Ages up to the sort of around about the 17th century. And there was a really interesting revenge story here because in 1204 what the Venetians do is they sidetrack an entire crusade. So the crusade's supposed to go to the Holy Land to fight and the Venetians managed to convince the um, crusading army to go and attack Constantinople, one of the biggest cities in Christendom. And there is some suggestion that this was actually led by revenge, because the Doge of Venice, that's the guy in charge, guy called Enrico Dandolo, he was actually blind, and some claim that he was blinded by the Byzantine Empire, Uh, and that was in the kind of late twelfth century, the eleven hundreds, eleven seventies. ...where the Byzantines confiscated all of the properties of the Venetians living in the Empire... ...and some claim that Dandolo was blinded then. He waited until 1204 when he was in power... Um, uncontestable power in Venice to then uh, bring an enormous army onto Constantinople, onto the Byzantine Empire, and to wreak his revenge and to capture that city. Um, in reality, however, it's not entirely clear. Some claim that he was also blinded by a severe uh, an accident, a big blow to the back of the head. But the point is here that revenge is a very... it's a, it's a great story. It's one that has survived the years in relation to that. And I'm always in favour of keeping those stories going even if there isn't necessarily the proof to back them up. I think that's the, it's the, the magic of history that keeps history alive. There's also a wonderful story about Caesar, Julius Caesar. Uh, he was kidnapped by pirates when he was a young man who's 25, and um, he kept on being uh, very, very confident in his captivity. They said they were going to ransom him for 20, uh, 20 talents of silver. He said he wanted 50. Uh, And then he said, you can carry on doing this, guys, but what will happen is you're going to release me. I'm going to come back. I will find you and I will crucify you all. And uh, he then did exactly that. Good on you, Julius Caesar. So two great stories that I've come across in my past, James, um, to do with Enrico D'Andolo, Doge of Venice, who was blinded, and also Julius Caesar, who um, survived captivity from pirates and then went back. And sought his revenge. But today, what we want to do is to look at this history of revenge with particular focus on the Wars of the Roses, one of the most complicated (laughs) and dramatic periods in British history. They're endlessly fascinating. If I could become a historian again, I reckon I would like to do a PhD on this period. Fascinating stuff. So, to give us a bit of background to what's going on here in the Wars of the Roses, and before I talk particularly about the Battle of St Albans, uh, James is going to give us a little introduction about what you need to know. Indeed I
3: am, Sam, and I am going to try and keep this as simple as possible. because <laughs> good it <luck>. is a <laughs> Very good luck. Uh, because it is a bizarrely complicated period of 15th century British history where we see all sorts of internecine warfare between rival um, royal dynasties. So the Wars of the Roses, to start with... Uh, Start in 1455 and go on to 1487 after Henry VII has taken power after the Battle of Bosworth in 1485. And essentially, the most important thing that you need to know about them is that it is a dynastic power struggle that takes place in the 15th century in England. So that's the first thing you need to understand about it. The next thing that you need to understand about it is that it is a war, a series of battles, fought between two rival factions of the Plantagenet branch of the royal family. So they fight each other for the crown, and the crown swaps hands several times over this period. It's a period when we see a series of civil wars fought between these two rival families. On the one side, you've got the House of York, and on the other side, you've got the House of Lancaster. And as will become very clear, we see many of the major personalities of the 15th century detailed in this War of the Roses period. Now, on the one side, you've got King Henry VI. And I'll talk more about him uh, in a little bit, he holds the crown in two different occasions. he uh ascends to the throne as a as a young child. He has several episodes of what are what are called uh, catatonia so basically he he loses his mind uh which of course, as a monarch presents really you know serious complications so you've got um King Henry the and his queen. Margaret of Anjou, and these are the two people who lead the Lancastrian side. Opposing them on the other side of this factional divide are the Yorkists. Now, the Yorkists are led at first by Richard III of York, and then when he dies by his sons, Edward the Fourth and Richard the Third. Richard the Third being the one who supposedly put the the um, princes in the Tower, and he is eventually defeated by Henry the Seventh, the first of the Tudor monarchs, at the Battle of Bosworth. Now, the next important thing that you need to know is that the War of the Roses has three different and distinct phases that it's really important for you to get into your into your minds and to understand. So the first phase, we'll start with that. Number 1 is when the crown is seized from Henry VI by Edward IV following the defeat of Edward the Sixth at the Battle of Towton, that's spelled T-O-W-T-O-N, the Battle of Towton in 1461, and so what we see is the crown going from the Lancastrians and the rightful King Henry the Sixth to the um, the Yorkist side. Now that's Phase One. Phase Two was fought between 1469 and 1471. And the key thing here is when the 16th Earl of Warwick, a man called Richard Neville, so Richard Neville, the 16th Earl of Warwick, switches allegiances. Um, and this phase of the war saw the end of Lancastrian power. And Warwick is killed at the Battle of Barnet. Uh, and Prince Edward was killed at the Battle of Tewkesbury. And this also, this, this period also sees the death of. Of King Henry the Sixth, who is captured and dies in captivity. Now, so that's the second phase. The final phase sees a challenge to Richard the Third from Henry Tudor. So this is when um, this is when Richard the Third has taken the throne, set himself up as king. Um, he is then um, there is a, an invasion from uh, Henry Tudor, uh, who himself is is not necessarily a legitimate monarch but for a range of factors not only uh, militarily but also people removing themselves from the battlefield he wins a decisive battle at the battle of bosworth in 1485 and is up, uh, is uh, ascends to the throne Having defeated Richard III. Now, this is not the end of the Wars of the Roses, you <laughs> might think, because. They're still going on, I They're think. still going on because there is in 1487 a uh, battle at Stokefield, uh, which leads to the defeat of a Yorkist army. And this is one of the things that solidifies uh, the Tudor dynasty. And there are throughout Henry VII's reign. There are a series of grumblings and disturbances and uprisings, characters like uh, Lambert Simnel, Perkin Warbeck, which could have led to a continuation of the Wars of the Roses. But Henry Seventh is very effective in putting down those um, those uprisings and consolidating his power. Now, we could go on and talk about the causes of the Wars of the Roses, which are incredibly varied. Um, I mean, I'm not going to go into great detail here, but I just want to talk about some of the key things. Now, one of the things is that Henry VI, as I said earlier on, becomes king as an infant. And the problem is that he's in his minority, which means that the government is controlled by other people, particularly by his uncles, until he reaches the age of adulthood. And, of course, what this leads to is a sort of power vacuum um, and you know people squabbling for power and factions. And also, when Henry VI becomes king, when he is an adult, he is a pretty weak king. He also suffers from bouts of catatonia, as I said earlier on, and that leads to situations where you know people see him not being uh, an effective king not being an effective ruler Um, favorites are appointed which leads to you know grumbling among those sort of senior political figures in the country which leads to arguments over different policies uh, in particular how they fought war with France so there are all sorts of sorts of issues there um one of the other things that I will say is that this is a period that is punctuated or marked by a range of battles. And these vary in size and significance. The Battle of Towton that I mentioned earlier on is an enormously large uh, war with with sieges, pitched battles, skirmishes, raids, all sorts of things. Um, and then you can have sort of, you know, very small um you know fracas uh, something like ludford bridge uh, for example is you know it's more or less a, a route with very little fighting but you're going to go on and tell us about a very significant battle aren't you sam the battle of st albans
1: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time
2: Yes, and it really does highlight this issue of revenge. It also highlights the issue of how um, just because a battle was quite small doesn't mean it wasn't uh, particularly significant. And the Battle of St Albans is a really, it's a great example of one of those. So this is in 1450. It's a very interesting period. You need to know that there's been all sorts of rebellions in England, um, a great deal of military defeat abroad, lots of Uh, English areas are actually captured by the French, so everything seems to be crumbling. Henry VI himself is uh, very ill again, and he usually relies on other people to help him run the country. The Duke of Suffolk in particular, and then the Duke of Somerset. So first up, the Duke of Suffolk. This is important because he falls foul of all sorts of um, political intrigues, and he is murdered. And that means that Henry is left... ...on his own at a time where you really needed a strong ruler to cope with these rebellions at home and abroad. Um, He becomes very ill after the Duke of Suffolk's death and basically becomes incapable of ruling the country. And it's at this stage that the Duke of York is appointed protector of the realm... And um, he was having some measure of success. He was consolidating his own power. But then the king recovers. And this happens quite a lot during the Wars of the Roses. Henry, Henry, certainly at this stage, Henry being ill, then Henry recovering. So as soon as Henry recovers, the Duke of York is um, doesn't enjoy the same amount of power. While the Duke of York had been in power, the Duke of Somerset, who is one of Henry's main allies, has been put in the tower. Now, what happens next? You really know that the Duke of York and the Duke of Somerset absolutely hate each other. Duke of Somerset, um, he's the political um, replacement for the Duke of Suffolk who has been murdered. So strong ally of Henry VI, but is loathed by Richard, who blames the Duke of Somerset for losing a lot of his uh, land in France. Um, The Duke of York believes that he by inheritance. He's got a very good claim to the throne as well, you see. Uh, He, by inheritance, he should be the one who is um, advising and guiding the king. So we've got this situation where the Duke of York has been frustrated, Henry VI is back in power, Somerset is out of the Tower of London, and um, the Duke of York is pretty cross, and kind of ticking, waiting for an opportunity. Um, What happens then is that... um, Henry resumes his court. That's in Westminster when he's, he is strong enough to do so. And he and his nobles decide to head to Leicester, where there's going to be a big council held. Uh, the Duke of York is very, very worried about this because he believes that it is at this court that the Duke of Somerset, Henry's ally, will bring charges against him and that it could lead to his downfall and possibly death. So what happens is the Duke of York tries to intercept Henry VI and his Lancastrian um, guards on the way to Leicester from London and they catch them at St Albans. What happens is actually a very minor skirmish but with very significant consequences. Uh, The Lancastrians are caught by surprise. They defend themselves in St Albans right in the heart by the Abbey and um, they believe they're safe. The Yorkists, however, manage to break through the barricades uh, they smash down some houses they cut in through some gardens and they capture um, they catch the Lancastrians by surprise um, A lot of them haven't even dressed for battle; they really aren't ready at all to do any any fighting um The king, Henry VI, he's actually wounded in the battle. He gets an arrow in the neck. But the really important thing is that the Duke of Somerset, so Henry's main ally and the one who Richard absolutely hates, the Duke of York, he's trapped in a pub called the Castle Inn. And he uh, realises that the end has come and he comes out fighting. He's cut down and he is killed. The Earl of Northumberland and Lord Clifford were also Killed about deaths of around about 60 men in total. But what really is important is this this is the first proper fight, the proper battle between the houses of York and Lancaster. And it seems as though these very specific people so you've got the um, Duke of Somerset, Lord Clifford, and the Earl of Northumberland that they have been targeted and they have been killed. Only these members of the nobility have been killed and it looks like they've been killed by design rather by accident in the general chaos of battle, that they've been targeted by the Yorkists. Uh, The Yorkists want to remove them from power but rather than just doing that politically what they've done is that they've killed them. Now this as I mentioned before was basically motivated by revenge so uh, the Duke of York furious with Somerset and his allies for uh, seeming slights for losing all of that land in France. But what happens is that everything just gets worse and worse and worse. The sons of those three noblemen killed at the Battle of St Albans, they then seek their revenge. And you have the growth of factions, the kind of the hardening of lines. So Somerset's death in particular, what it does is it makes things worse. Much worse indeed. Poor old Henry VI can't cope with the stress. He then has another bout of illness. And what happens then is that um, the Duke of York again gets put into a position of power. So it's yo-yoed back to where we were um, before the Battle of St. Albans where the Yorkists are in ascendance but bubbling with revenge are the sons of those three noblemen killed at the Battle of St. Albans. This second protectorate of York in charge of everything, again, also doesn't last long um, because the king recovers one more time. Um, His wife has... Set up court at Coventry, the lines of these two camps have very much hardened there 's then a bit more yo yoing to and fro. The Yorkists are routed at Ludford Bridge, putting the Lancastrians back in in power into ascendancy. But then the Yorkists fight back at Northampton in fourteen sixty but then something really, really important happens, and that is at Wakefield in December of fourteen sixty it 's a battle, and what happens is that the Duke of York is caught and he's caught by the sons of those noblemen killed at the Battle of St. Albans Um, and the Duke of York is killed and that then leads to the next phase of the Wars of the Roses. So you can see how revenge drove um, York's hatred of the Duke of Somerset um, leading to the hardening of lines which led to the Battle of St. Albans then the death of the Duke of Somerset and those other noblemen Um, leads to another round of revenge, which ultimately leads to the death of the Duke of York. And so the Wars of the Roses go on and they tumble on into the next phase uh, where we have the rise of the Yorkists. Oh, Sam, that was splendid stuff. Splendid. (laughs) So, Sam, we
3: have a a quiz uh, for our listeners. And the first question is, what
2: were the causes of the Wars of the Roses? Ooh, it's a tricky one. Um, number two, when did the Wars of the Roses occur? Number three,
3: who was involved in the Wars of the Roses?
2: Uh, the next one, when was the Battle of St Albans?
3: Ooh, I hope you were listening carefully to that. Uh, and lastly, um, what was the significance of the Battle of St Albans? Go back and listen to what Sam was telling you all about. Now, we also have a task. Uh, In fact, we don't just have one task. We have three tasks for you. I could think think of even more. These are very simple tasks. But one of the things when you're studying history and something that is so complicated as the Wars of the Roses, the most important thing is to get all the details laid out so that you have them very firmly in your mind so this is this is designed to get you getting all your facts and biographies and everything straight, so three tasks they're small tasks you can find them probably on the internet they'll be able to help you. The first is to find a timeline of the Wars of the Roses. Now, remember, we said the Wars of the Roses can very simply be put into three distinct phases. But there is a timeline of all sorts of events and people coming to power and battles. So formulate yourself a timeline of the Wars of the Roses. The second thing, because we've got so many different people here, um, I want you, or we want you, to outline a family tree for the Plantagenets so that you get in your minds who are the Lancastrian faction and who are the Yorkists. And thirdly, and related to that, what we would like you to do is to produce mini-biographies of each of the main protagonists. So all the sort of names that we've been mentioning um you know, Henry the Sixth, the um the Duke of Buckingham, um the Duke of York, you know, all of those people. Write a few sentences about them so that in your own mind you're able to you know think about who they are you could also if you wanted something fourthly you could also think about um, getting some more detail about the causes of the wars of the roses and um, you could do that in you could do that very quickly in terms of the quiz but also you could do it in uh, much more detail
2: so there we are sam that's quite a lot of work for people to do <laughs> yeah lots to get involved in and um, you can hopefully find the own the things that you're interested in in the wars of the roses there are so many different ways of thinking about it and writing about it so best of luck and do let us know how you got on that's all for now we'll be coming back with some more episodes uh, our main episodes and also some more homeschooling stuff soon thanks all very much for listening guys cheerio thanks a lot guys bye